What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. to the debut of the Clip City podcast on Blue Wire. I'm your host, Yovan Buha, Clippers beat writer for The Athletic and first-time podcast host. My goal with the Clip City podcast is to bring you the best possible Clippers coverage out there, including analysis and reactions, interviews with Clippers players, team personnel, and other NBA writers and personalities, fragrancy and draft previews, and Q&As where I answer your questions off of Twitter and Instagram. For our first episode, I asked my buddy Ben Golliver, the national NBA writer for the Washington Post, to come on to chat about whether it's better for the Clippers to make or miss the playoffs given their ambitious plans this offseason, his recent profile on Montrez Harrell, and to preview this summer, including the Clippers' odds at landing Kawhi Leonard, Anthony Davis, and potentially both. We recorded this on Saturday, so our analysis of the Clippers' playoff odds were before they had played the Nuggets and Mavericks, so factor that in when listening. And if you enjoy the Clip City podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review it now or after you're done listening to this episode. Let's get to our conversation with Ben. For the first episode, I wanted to bring in a special guest, a good friend of mine, someone I've known for a few years now out here in LA, national NBA writer for the Washington Post, Ben Golliver. Ben, how you doing today? I'm great, Jizzy. How are you doing? It's a great way to start the pod. <laughs> For those who don't know, that is one of my nicknames. Can't go into further detail why. But, uh, <laughs> it's the only nickname that I've remembered. <laughs> so for today's podcast, I, I kind of wanted to get into you know some big picture stuff with you. The playoff race and a story you did on Montrez Harrell and, and then free agency preview to kind of cap things off. Uh, I think it's better just get into some bigger picture stuff before we dive into my new show later on in coming weeks and episodes. So Ben, is it better for the Clippers to make the playoffs and lose their pick or miss the playoffs and keep their pick? I have an opinion on this, but I want to get your perspective first. I kind of think they should try to do a little bit from column A and a little bit from column B. I think the best scenario for them is to just like try like heck to make the playoffs so that you, uh, you know, satisfy ownership which is very competitive where you give the players the sense that they're really playing for something you're not all out tanking but I think ultimately the best scenario for them is to miss the playoffs and and keep their pick the reason why I say that is their trade deadline maneuvers put them in this really incredible opportunity to chase guys this summer and everything's been going towards this plan of trying to get the two superstars this summer right every little asset that you can get to you know, sweeten your packages for potential trades to try to, you know, use as bait to lure guys and say, look, if you come and sign here, we can like use these uh, different pieces to go out there and, you know, fill out the supporting cast around you, or simply just to have a guy on a low cost rookie deal uh, who is able to fill in uh, a rotation. Uh, if you do land those superstars, I think ultimately you want to maximize your best case scenario. And to me, that means keeping the pick this year. The other reason I say that is because let's say things do break the Clippers way and they get one superstar or even two superstars. 
the odds of their first round pick next year being worse than it is this year are, are pretty good, right? Like, let's say in a dream world, if they get KD and Kawhi, I mean, that pick is going to be like, you know, worse than 23 probably. And that's a, you know, a significantly different value than what their pick is going to be like this year, uh, you know, if they just, you know, barely sneak into the lottery. So to me, I think it's, you know, full speed ahead, try to win games, try to stay relevant, try to, you know, give your fans a, a good show down the stretch. But if LeBron James turns on playoff mode and the Lakers, you know, pass you in the standings, it's not the end of the world. You're still in a really nice place set up for the summer. 100%. And I think that, you know, I, I just wrote about this a few days ago and I concluded that I thought the best path for them moving forward would be to miss the playoffs, keep the pick. Now, obviously, the Clippers are not going to just outright tank. That's not in this team's DNA. Like, good luck telling Patrick Beverly, Montrezl Harrell, Lou Williams, those guys to, you know, you know, miss games, rest, whatever. Like, they're not going to do that. So I, I think this team is going to be in the playoff hunt until, you know, the last week of April or, you know, the you know first week of April, but like last week of the season. I'm really surprised that the playoff odds right now, like looking at 538 gives them a 68% chance, and that's the lowest. Uh, basketball reference gives them 85%. ESPN gives them 80.6%. So, I mean, they do have an easier schedule than the Kings and the Lakers. They're now tied with the Jazz and the Spurs for the sixth seed. That's uh, a three-way tie with Utah up a little bit uh, percentage points-wise. But I'm kind of thinking they're going to get in somehow. Uh, you know, they are three games up on the Lakers. And, you know, I know playoff LeBron is activated right now. But I just think like, Going back to what you just said, though, like the upside of a lottery pick is better than the theoretical playoff brownie points. Because one thing that they have said, conversations I've had and, and stuff that's been reported, like, you know, they think it's kind of a, a pitch to free agents where, you know, if they're in a room with Kawhi Leonard or, or Kevin Durant, they can talk to them and be like, look, you know, no one picked us to make the playoffs. We we're supposed to be number 10 seed, number 11 seed. We overachieved. We traded away our best player and still made the playoffs. So this core that you would be joining is already the core of like a, a seven seed or an eight seed, uh, you know, and, and imagine now adding you. Now we're the, the two seed or the three seed or maybe even the one seed, depending on what happens with Golden State. So I think for them, they're kind of viewing it like that, you know, get the young guys some postseason experience, you know, have this kind of overachieving season that you could pitch in free agency. Bomber, as you know, uh, the athletics, Sam Amick reported yesterday, really wants to make the postseason and has been kind of preaching that internally. And, you know, this is also a weak draft. So there, there is kind of some thinking that if you're going to lose a pick, you know, this is probably the draft to lose it. You also save money on your cap sheet this summer. But at the same time, there's been a lot of good value in that 13-14 range recently, like Donovan Mitchell, uh, Bam Adebayo, the, the Morris Twins, TJ Warren. Like there have been some pretty good picks in, you know, the end of the lottery. Uh, and also, I don't think getting swept by the Warriors in the first round is like the best sales pitch either. Like imagine... You know, you, you play the Warriors in round one, you get swept. Now you're in a meeting with Kevin Durant in July and you're like, well, come join this team. You know, we're not that far off from the Warriors when you just lost every game by 20 points. I don't know. I, I think that they're not going to try to tank or, or miss the playoffs. But like you said, with the run, the Lakers look like they might be able to, to go on right now with the way the Kings are playing, with the way the teams ahead of them are, are still kind of sticking around. Like there's a world in which they do try to make it and they still miss it's just looking more and more like they're probably going to sneak in. 
Yeah. So a couple of thoughts. First of all, I don't think there's a bad scenario here. If they make the playoffs, you know, it's a win for everybody who was a part of, uh, you know, an underachieving or sorry, an overachieving team this season. If they miss, they keep the pick. So it's kind of a win-win for them. I do think they have a very, you know, firm ceiling though. They make the playoffs or go on out in round one. I mean, even if they were to get into that six or seven seed, I mean, I think that, you know, best case, they're forcing one of those series to six games and like an absolute best case. And, you know, more likely it's going to be four or five and, and they're going home early. Uh, you know, one other benefit of having that first round pick is right now the Clippers, their depth is what it is because they don't have those like massive, you know, big dollar salary contract, like the max level commitments that are going to be required for players like, you know, Kawhi Leonard or, or Kevin Durant. So there's going to have to be a trade-off there. If you're importing those guys, uh, your depth is definitely going to take hits. And that's where the rookie contracts become so valuable. And I think the Clippers have had some pretty good success, not just with like, you know, getting a guy like, you know, Shea this year, but they've also had, you know, two-way contract players giving them really good value uh, at times over these last couple of seasons. Like you have to play a little bit of money ball to fill out your roster, you know, around the superstar players. And so that's where, you know, the value of, of having that first round pick this season, it could really come into play because that could be a guy who is giving you, you know, real minutes, uh, you know, out of the gate, uh, next year. And we've seen issues like that, uh, you know, on all sorts of, you know, the quote unquote super teams, right? Like Golden State. I mean, they've had to really, you know, dig deep for like the Alfonso McKitties of the world to you know, fill out their rotations. LeBron, it seems like they're, you know, rotating these minimum salary contract guys or, or low cost guys around him constantly in LA. Same thing in Houston. I mean, how many different moves have they made roster wise trying to find anybody who can give you quality minutes because of those big contracts that are on the books? for James Harden and for Chris Paul. So I think what we're really looking at here could be potentially a very radical shift uh, for the Clippers in terms of how they're handing out their salary cap uh, space. And the Clippers have been there before, though. I mean, like during the big three era, that's a perfect example. You know, you got uh, Chris Paul, Blake Griffin, DeAndre Jordan eating up a huge percentage of your salary cap. How hard was it for for Doc Rivers and company to find those types of role players uh, around the edges? And I think we should give Lawrence Frank and his his administration a lot of credit for prioritizing the draft, for prioritizing developing players, and and trying to you know get some of these guys who nobody's ever heard of uh, who could sneak in and give you minutes. And having that pick could be very helpful uh, in that situation. If you don't have it, it's not the end of the world. I mean, I did like their trade deadline move to just you know basically cash out, sell. Uh, high on Tobias Harris, add some draft picks so you can free up some flexibility down the road. But I do think that pick could be very helpful uh, if they do wind up landing the big fish. Exactly. Uh, I think you you kind of nailed every point I've been thinking. Like I, I also think, and this is going to sound a little ridiculous, but they actually probably have a better chance of moving into the top four, which depending on if they were the 13th or 14th you know, worst record would be between 24 to 4.7%. They probably have a better chance of moving into the top four than they do of beating the Warriors in, in round one. I mean, maybe even in one game. Like, I honestly think, you know, I, I've seen some Clipper fans uh, on Twitter say we might push the Warriors to five or six. I'm like, I don't see any scenario in which they even win a game or, or you know, lose by less than two. Like, I think it's going to be a complete bloodbath to play the Warriors. Like you said, if they play maybe the Thunder or the Nuggets, they could push them to five or six in like a best case scenario. But, you know, you just alluded to, with Lawrence Frank and Michael Winger and the rest of the front office, like they've been taking this long view approach. They've been making some really difficult decisions. The last two trade deadlines, they traded away Blake Griffin and Tobias Harris, the two best players on the team respectively at, at those times. And to me, like 
you know, just making the playoffs to say you made the playoffs and kind of have this little feel good, you know, one and a half to two week moment, you know, that's nice, but the cost is a lottery pick. And, and, you know, if the Clippers do add, even if they just add Kawhi Leonard or Kevin Durant or, or one star, they should be in the playoff picture next year. They should probably be fighting for home court. So that is going to put them in that early to mid twenties. And I'd rather, you know, if I'm them, I'd rather lose a pick in, even in a deeper draft, I'd rather lose a pick in the early to mid twenties than a lottery pick, like a lottery pick. There's just such a history of guys slipping that you wouldn't expect, you know, Donovan Mitchell being the best recent example, Kawhi Leonard slipped to 15. Like you had Paul George, at Paul 10, George, Clay Thompson I mean, at 11, yeah. Shea at 11. They just got Shea. At, I mean, obviously it's a little bit higher in the draft, but you just never know. And I, I think, so one, one thing I, I wanted to, to run by you is a, kind of a comparison because for the article I wrote, I, I looked at the 44 bubble teams in kind of this free agency era. So I, I deemed the free agency era as 2009-10, the beginning. And then I ended it with 2016-17, just because we don't know how the 2017-18 teams are going to fare yet. But I looked at those eight that eight-year sample size. There was 44 bubble teams, which I deemed as within three games of making or missing the playoffs. So, you know, on either side. So 27 team, you know, bubble teams made the playoffs. As obviously, you know, it's a tight playoff race. There might be like one team that barely misses and like three teams that get in. And then 17 teams missed it. So what was interesting was of the teams that made it, over 50% of them made it the next season. Whereas the teams that missed, less than 50% of them made it the next season. So there was a little bit of a correlation there where like, if you do make the playoffs, even as like a bubble team, you're probably more likely to make it the next season, which I think makes sense. But what was interesting to me was of all the bubble teams, and I looked at how each of their offseason plays out, like none of them really added a major star. Like probably the biggest addition was Houston in 2013 adding Dwight, which was kind of this unique, you know, scenario where things really flamed out in LA and it was just such a terrible situation where, you know, he, he it made a lot of sense for him to leave. But otherwise, like, it's guys like Paul Millsap or Carlos Boozer or David West, you know, going to younger teams kind of as that veteran former all-star. There really has never been a guy like a Kawhi or a KD going to a bubble playoff team. So to me, the team that the Clippers are kind of trying to emulate would be that Rockets team where 2011-12, the lockout season, they barely missed the playoffs by two games. Very similar to the Clippers. They were coming off that, you know, they're coming off that disappointing Yao Ming, Tracy McGrady era, which was a lot of first round flameouts, some injuries and stuff. Then they became this team of kind of retreads, undervalued guys. You know, there are a lot of guys from the D League, a lot of guys on, you know, rookie deals, a lot of guys that had flamed out of the league. And they missed the playoffs that season. That summer, though, they had accrued enough assets that they were able to flip that in a once in a generation type move to get James Harden. Then, you know, obviously the next season they, they made the playoffs. Uh, lost in the first round, and then that summer they added Dwight. And you know, since then, obviously uh, the the Rockets have been you know one of the top I don't know four or five teams in the league o- over the last like five six years. And I think it's worked out. Like they haven't won a, a title yet, but they made the conference finals a couple of times. Could have potentially won a title last season if Chris Paul didn't go down. So I think if you're the Clippers, that's probably your best case scenario. But it is a really weird situation where like no team has kind of been in this position, at least recently in this free agency era where you know player empowerment, everyone's moving over the summer. There hasn't really been a fringe team to add uh, you know, the type of talent the Clippers are trying to add. It's always been these teams at the top. It's, it's Golden State getting Kevin Durant. It's you know OKC getting Paul George. It's 
the Raptors getting Kawhi. And then, you know, look, maybe LeBron is an exception where he goes to Miami and then he goes to Cleveland, but there are obvious reasons to that. And then going to LA, obvious reasons to that. So I, I just wonder, you know, is this even possible or realistic for the Clippers to, to have that type of summer when really looking back at recent history, like it hasn't really happened? Yeah. So it's a fascinating project that you took on there. Just real quick on the value of the the lower lottery picks. Don't forget some of these players who everyone's fighting over in free agency, whether it's Kawhi Leonard, Paul George. I mean, that's kind of the the same area they were drafted to, right? So like if you can nail one of those picks, that can wind up being something that pays dividends for your franchise for eight to 10 years. And I think if you're looking at, you know, what is one of the Clippers biggest strengths? I mean, having Jerry West in there to evaluate talent, and contribute to draft decisions. That's absolutely a strength. Now, in terms of what you're describing with the free agency era, the comparison I would make, it's almost to like an amusement park ride that kind of starts slow and then slowly but surely it picks up and it picks up and it picks up and it's going really, really fast by the end of it. That is what we're dealing with here in free agency. I mean, you could say, okay, we had an example of the Rockets. That's really the only comparison point. Well, I guarantee you in three or four years, the pace at which superstar players are changing teams and almost like mercenaries, you know, just out there, like frequent, you know, frequent shoppers almost just going from franchise to franchise. You're going to have every example that you could possibly think of, uh, whether it's, you know, guys going to really good teams, mediocre teams, terrible teams like LeBron, uh, you know, going back to Cleveland, going back to the or going to the Lakers. So I think you shouldn't be scared off by history. If you're the Clippers, you just have to be focusing on, can you make your best possible pitch? I think your point about, hey, if we get swept by the the Warriors, that's not going to be very impressive to, to Kawhi Leonard and Kevin Durant is dead on. Because frankly, these guys just assume they're going to be in the playoffs and on a top four team every year during their prime, right? So they're not going to be, oh, cool, you made the eight seed. You remember when Kevin Durant went on CJ McCollum's podcast and was like, hey, man, don't worry about the top of the uh, the standings. Like That doesn't really concern you. Like, that's a funny joke on a podcast, but there's a lot of truth to that. You know what I mean? Like, these guys just yeah. sort of assume, like, hey, I'm good enough where I'm going to be in the playoffs no matter what. So just because you overachieved into an eight seed, like, that doesn't really get my my blood going. And you've got to understand it from their perspective. But if you're the no, Clippers... You, you brought up a good point. Yeah, if you're the Clippers, though, your pitch is very simple. Look, LeBron took a huge chance on LA because the market is what the market is. The Clippers are in that same market. It's a huge platform. These guys would be the face of an organization in that in that market. You've got a very respected coach, respected front office, owner who is absolutely willing to spend above and beyond. I don't think the luxury tax is going to be scaring him off if he gets star players. Uh, and there's a lot of other franchises out there who already don't check all of those boxes. So that's why I think we do have to take the the Clippers seriously you know, in this conversation. And that doesn't mean they're going to necessarily land these guys. It's very difficult to prognosticate what these guys are are looking for. Uh, you know, talking to some of the Toronto writers recently, they're feeling pretty confident that Kawhi Leonard will stay or at least resign and then kind of you know figure out what his future is. But you know, I look at the Raptors moves here over the last 12 months and man, they feel pretty desperate to me. Like they feel pretty short-sighted. Like we're just trying to make a, a really good run while we can. And if I'm Kawhi Leonard, I'm wondering, you know, is Marcus Saul, Sergi Baca and Kyle Lowry, all these guys who are sort of, you know, you don't want to call them past their prime, but maybe their very best years are already behind them. Are those the guys you kind of want to go to war with? Uh, and, you know, with Kevin Durant, it's, it's really tricky because all the rumors are in New York. So how do you, uh, distinguish what LA has to offer versus, you know, what he could have in, in New York, you know, being the face of his own team in such a big market where he's not competing with LeBron kind of head to head. 
you know, it's tricky, but I think the Clippers should not be scared off by the history that you you outline. They should just make their best case possible because eventually, you know, some star is going to pick a team like the Clippers uh, because these guys are moving so fast that it's like, a, you know, a game of duck, duck, goose, right? Like eventually you're going to sit down in the right chair. No, I, I completely agree. And that's a good point. I hadn't really thought of it that way. Uh, the, the amusement park analogy was, was really good. <laughs> So let's take a quick break and then we'll get back to a reason why the Clippers might make the postseason anyway, which is something you just wrote about. Listeners, life can be stressful, but getting life insurance shouldn't be. That's why there's Ethos. Ethos is a modern kind of life insurance that's super fast, incredibly affordable, and very uncomplicated. At getethos.com, there are no medical exams or policies covering under a million dollars, no hours of paperwork or meetings with pushy representatives. It only takes 10 minutes to apply, and you can rest assured knowing you've taken the steps to protect your family. In most cases with Ethos, you can have that peace of mind for less than a cup of coffee a day with no hidden fees. Having life insurance can free you from stress. Getting life insurance shouldn't cause it. Discover how uncomplicated life insurance can be at Ethos. Get your free instant quote and submit your complete application in minutes. Just go to getethos.com that's E-T-H-O-S, getethos.com, getethos.com. So we're back now. Ben, you wrote a brilliant profile of Montrez Harrell's upbringing and journey to the NBA, his current breakout role with the Clippers, and his case for both most improved and sixth man. Uh, what was the most interesting thing you learned about him while researching and reporting on that story? Well, I think it's probably the thing that I led with, which is like how he's broken backboards multiple times in his life. I don't know what it is about that. It's, you know, when I was actually in uh, preschool, I got in trouble with my parents because there was like some rickety backboard that was like attached to the side of my preschool and I ripped it off its hinges. And oh man, I, my dad was so, so mad at me. So maybe it's the the personal connection there, but you know, he's describing g- attending this high school in North Carolina, a very rural country place where the whole high school is like 300 kids. And here's Montrez Harrell, who's just built like, you know, an NBA player already in high school. And, you know, he's he's played football. He's played four sports, running track, doing all this stuff. And here he is right before the big rivalry game. And he's just ripping the backboard to shreds and, and breaking the glass. I mean, I could just picture everybody in that town being like, oh, my God, what do we have on our hands here? And his path to the Clippers has been really, really interesting. I mean, it's been a great breakout season. I love watching this guy play. It's clear the Staples Center's fans really love watching him play. I mean, I remember the last year when Blake Griffin was there, it seemed like Trez was getting louder cheers than Blake Griffin. I don't know if you remember that too. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. But it's just his relentlessness. And that's sort of what I tried to hit on with him is basically like, how does a guy who everybody writes off as being you know, too short to play center, can't shoot, so he's not really a stretch forward, doesn't really have an NBA position. Uh, you know, is he just a dunker or, you know, is he a, a defensive specialist who you use in certain matchups? Like, really, how does he fit? These were the questions he faced for years, and he wound up going down to the G League when he was with the Rockets. And he didn't ever really stick in Houston in terms of getting major rotation minutes. And here he comes to L.A. and it's like he's found gold. You know, he's like the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. And, and Doc Rivers almost can't believe what he stumbled upon, you know, during training camp, his first training camp with Harrell. And uh, he's just blossomed brilliantly. I love the role they've crafted for him. Doc kind of made it clear, look, he, he's best off the bench and, you know, a very important like super sub type role where he can just go nuts every single night. And the, the combination between him and Lou Will 
has got to be the best bench combination in the NBA. And the last time I checked, they were you know at the top of the list in terms of total points per game as a bench unit. And you can tell they just shift the course of games regularly in ways that other benches just don't. And it's they're they're almost like overqualified substitutes in a way. Like they both could easily be starting quality guys. Uh, and the fact that they've been willing to you know make those kinds of sacrifices and then really embrace those roles and just you know smash teams uh, on a regular basis, it's probably my favorite thing to watch about this year's Clippers. It is really interesting because both guys almost prefer coming off the bench. And Lou, you know, he started a little bit last year when they were so depleted. But, you know, he's said multiple times he kind of prefers this six-man role off the bench. Trez, you know, I, I wrote heading into the season, like, I thought there was such a big gap between him and Gortat and Boban. And that was before I even knew how good, you know, he, he's even taken a bigger step than, than he did last season. But I thought just with even last season's version of Trez, looking at the state Gortat was in at 34, looking at Boban's limitations, I was like, there might be just such a big gap between those two that you kind of have to start Trez and just bite that bullet and say, we can't afford to start like a fringe backup caliber totally. guy to, you know, and, and put this guy off, off the bench. So, you know, that's, that's something I've talked about with, with Clippers coaches and, and front office people. And, you know, they, they have their own take on it. And it seems like, like you said, they prefer him off the bench. Now I think it makes a little more sense with Zubots. Trez is obviously the better player, but Zubots I think is, is much more adequate to play like 15 to 20 to 25 minutes a night when compared to Gortat or, or Boban. But was there anything on the that you left on the cutting room floor that you wish you could have shared or added in the piece? Yeah, for sure. I mean, the one advantage of not starting him, it's a little bit easier, I think, rotation-wise for them to close with him. And I I mean, that's sort of getting at what you're saying, right? Like if you want to have your best five players on the court and you want to close with your best five, Trez is basically in that group no matter what, right? That's one advantage of sort of handling it the the way that they have because there is the foul trouble issue with him. And I, I do worry like if he's playing all of his minutes against starters, are you in a situation where like he's trying to close games defensively with five fouls and you know, he's he's thinking about that rather than just playing. So I think a little bit of it is to kind of protect him from himself. But there's no doubt. I mean, he's he's the best center uh, or quote unquote center they've got on the roster, and and certainly has made the biggest impact when you look at their lineups of you know who's which groups are performing well. It's basically whenever he's on the court, they're playing pretty well. In terms of the cutting room floor stuff, you know, he told me a little bit about his time in Louisville, and you remember he was on that team that won the national championship. Uh, and remember Kevin Ware broke his leg. Montrez Harrell took me into that locker room and he's basically just like, look, we didn't say anything. We all just made eye contact with each other. You know, there were some people who were pretty, pretty emotional and, and kind of close to near tears. And, you know, coach uh, uh, Patino came in and basically didn't even have to give them a speech at halftime. They went back out there and just ran off like, you know, a 30 point run uh, to, to put that game away. I mean, that was something that I didn't really have room in, in the piece for, but you could just imagine how that would be a formative experience for a player like him, where it's like he's always been this hard worker, this guy who is just very self-motivated to sort of provide for his family, kind of pull himself up out of some pretty rough circumstances in North Carolina. I mean, he told me, uh, I think my favorite line in the whole piece, he told me, you know, look, we ate spaghetti on on Monday for dinner, and then we ate leftover spaghetti on Tuesday for dinner. And you know, I think there was something like eight or nine people all crammed into a single house when he was growing up, whether it was his aunts or his parents, his grandparents uh, and his brothers. And, you know, that's that's no joke. But to have that sort of moment where like you could see like the, your entire career 
could be taken away from you with one serious injury, just in a blink of an eye, snap of a finger. I could tell that that whole experience really impacted him. And I think it's helped shape uh, how he continues to, to play the game. I mean, one line he told me was, you know, it doesn't matter if I'm at the Drew League. I'm still playing like I'm getting paid to be at the Drew League, right? Like I'm getting a max salary or, or a big, big contract to go out there and play these exhibition games at, at the Drew League. And I think that's just his mentality, you know, basically 24-7, 365. You know, he said he studies matchups on NBA 2K <laughs> to like, you know, handle how he's going to defend certain people or what they like to do. He's just kind of all basketball all the time. And, uh, you know, just an interesting guy who I think because he's so fierce on the court, you know, he's not afraid to talk trash. He said he likes getting in people's heads. Uh, he's not afraid to be demonstrative, scream. You know, he, he's among the NBA's technical foul leaders. I think that can kind of scare some people off a little bit. But I think inside, you know, or, or behind that facade, there's a really good dude who has spent the last 10 years just absolutely grinding to get exactly where he is right now. The Clippers are really lucky that they signed him to that deal last year because if he was hitting, right? if he was hitting unrestricted free agency right now, I mean, I'm just spitballing here, but I feel like he'd be getting, you know, right now, he, last summer he signed a, a, you know, he was a restricted free agent, so they, they kind of had some leverage there, obviously. But I think he, he signed a two-year, $12 million deal. Uh, I think this summer he, he'd be signing something much bigger than that, maybe in like the 12 to $15 million range. No question about it. And give the Clippers credit, though, because – they were the ones who, you know, got him as a quote unquote throw in in the Chris Paul deal, right? So like when you're putting those packages together, it very easily could not have included him. So one, they were able to acquire him. Two, they were able to develop him, you know, to start giving him the confidence and the minutes to find this role. And then three, like you said, they identified him as a key player. I mean, their roster went over uh, a lot of uh, turnover over the last 12 months because of the Blake trade. Uh, because of the more recent Tobias trade and letting DeAndre Jordan go. I mean, they made a lot of moves along the way to prioritize kind of keeping him and then to also have built up the goodwill so he was willing to kind of re-sign on a pretty team-friendly number. That is a sign of a good front office. You know, that's just uh, smart business, and it's going to pay off for them, just like you said, because they've got another year of him playing on an absolutely bargain contract. So speaking of free agency... I wanted to quickly get into a little bit of a free agency preview. The Clippers deadline moves, I, I think, clearly showed that they are going for it this summer. Uh, they're not in a Knicks-type situation where they're kind of all in, and if they don't get it, it's probably going to be viewed as a, a failure from the media and, and their fan base and stuff. But the Clippers are going for it this summer. Now we'll have enough cap space theoretically for up to two guys. Uh, they'll probably have to trade Danilo Gallinari or, or move a couple other pieces to get to the full two max if they want someone like Katie and Kawhi. But uh, I wanted to ask you uh, as someone who is a national voice and has a national perspective on the league, do you feel like people are kind of sleeping on the Clippers in, in terms of their threat level in free agency? Just because uh, as someone who, you know, obviously I'm in the, the Clippers ecosystem more than, than other ecosystems, but I'm in the Lakers ecosystem a little bit too. And, uh, you know, I am on basketball, you know, basketball, Twitter, NBA, Twitter, whatever you want to call it. Like I'm seeing what people are saying and it's always the Lakers. Now it's the Knicks after the Porzingis trade. It's the Celtics because they're kind of in the middle of all this with Kyrie and potentially AD. It's even the Sixers now to an extent because, you know, what's going to happen with Tobias, what's going to happen with Jimmy. But I feel like the Clippers are kind of on a you know that second tier level 
where they're going to have as much money basically as anybody. And, you know, I just saw today ESPN did their, their forecast panel for free agency. And the only guy that they really gave the Clippers a, a chance at getting was Kawhi Leonard. So I, I'm just wondering, do you think people are kind of maybe sleeping on the Clippers in terms of their ability to actually get a star or even two this summer? I mean, I think in general, the Clippers are one of the best kept secrets in the league, and they have been for a couple of years. I mean, even when they were winning 50 plus games consecutively, they were being talked about for stuff that didn't have anything to do with basketball, right? It was like the whining and, you know, griping to officials and stuff like that. And I just think so much of that stems from geography of sharing the city with the Lakers and, you know, being that in that little brother role all the time. And I'm not totally sure how you dig out of that as an organization, but I do think if they landed a superstar, this summer, that would go a long way to sort of you know changing the perception a little bit of them as a destination. I think part of the problem, you know, here, people are talking about the Knicks for good reason. Like, it's not that we're like slighting the Clippers. It's that they made a very bold, aggressive, franchise-altering move, the kind of move you only make if you're feeling very confident about your ability to land some really, really big stars, Right. So I think all the buzz has gone that New York direction for good reason. And I think we've also seen here over the last couple of years, these NBA superstar guys are not very good at keeping secrets, right? I mean, I like, didn't the LeBron of the Lakers thing leak of almost like a year early. Uh, we've heard about Kevin Durant's unhappiness for basically this entire season. Um, you know, Kyrie Irving seems like he's dropping an awful lot of breadcrumbs in Boston right now. And I think that's why the Kawhi Leonard conversation with the Clippers is the one that most people have latched onto because that's the one where there's been the most consistent links between him and LA. Like it's clear that they're in his window, maybe more than uh, with some of these other players. So uh, like I mentioned, I don't think that Toronto situation is really that good for Kawhi Leonard. I know Raptors fans, like they get up in arms if, if you want to hear that, but the key pieces there, the guys with the big contracts are aging. If they don't do it this year, you've got to be looking around and thinking, okay, there's some really nice young pieces there, whether it's Pascal um, or OG Ananobi. But I mean, are those the kinds of guys you're going to be forming a big three with, you know, in the future to like, uh, you know, get yourself over the top if you're Kawhi Leonard? You know, I don't know about that. Plus, California, uh, you know, ties definitely matter. In general, a lot of guys have not wanted to play in Toronto whether it's because it's a foreign country or the cold weather or whatever else. I mean, DeMar DeRozan was the obvious exception there. But I think if you're the Raptors, you're, con you're their fans, you're constantly paranoid that guys are going to leave you. Um, and so I do think he's an attainable target uh, for the Clippers. And I think they've done a really nice job of positioning themselves uh, to sort of onboard him. At the same time, they like you mentioned, they haven't done what the Knicks have done, which is like basically sell out your entire franchise to get these guys this summer. If the Clippers did strike out, I don't think it would be the end of the world. They got those extra draft picks for Tobias. They've proven that they've got sort of a bubble quality group uh, already in tow. And there are going to be some second tier guys who they could maybe chase if they miss out on the biggest names. So I do think we should probably be discussing uh, them more as a free agency player or even as a team that would be able to take on maybe a disgruntled star with their combination of flexible contracts, uh, you know, draft picks and whatever else, if one of those guys comes along uh, in the future, sort of like what Philly did with uh, Jimmy Butler down the road. So I don't think that they've completely mortgaged themselves, you know, or tied themselves completely to this summer. I think they're in a pretty nice, flexible position, but I do worry that the, the trade deadline hints 
about what Kevin Durant's doing, that may kind of blow up their master plan here with with getting the two stars. I don't know. How do you feel about that? Yeah, I actually uh, I just did a podcast with Zach Harper earlier in the week, and he asked me about kind of the, the odds for each uh, star this summer. I think the best realistic case scenario for for what they're trying to do is is probably something like Kawhi Leonard and Nikola Vucevic. You know, maybe Kawhi and Jimmy, but I just personally don't see Kawhi and KD joining forces. Uh, there were those comments that KD had made about Kawhi, which, you know, there's been multiple reports out there and kind of rumors that really pissed off Kawhi. And, you know, it, it doesn't seem like there's a lot of mutual respect there uh, between the two sides. So I, I don't really see that as a feasible scenario. It also seems like both guys want to be the man and have their own team. And I do think they could, you know, theoretically they could coexist uh, as like co-stars and and on the court. I, I think it would probably be the best, you know, two man combination in the league, but I, I kind of see it more as an either or proposition. So uh, the Clippers have actually put Kawhi ahead of KD really in their recruitment. It's just my, from kind of what I've gathered, it, it does seem like if they have a free agent board, Kawhi is number one and KD is number two. Uh, which to me is, is interesting just because I, I think most people would have it the other way with, with KD first. But I think Kawhi is almost the anti-LeBron in every single facet. And the Clippers are really trying to position themselves as a blue-collar, hard-nosed organization. Like Steve Ballmer's favorite team, you know, he's, he's from Michigan. His favorite team growing up was the Bad Boy Pistons. In many ways, he kind of wants to cre- recreate that culture in LA. And they know they, they can't out-glamour and out-glitz the Lakers. Like, they can't out Hollywood them. The Lakers are Hollywood. The Lakers have LeBron, the biggest star in you know professional sports right now. Uh, there's no way the Clippers can compete with them on that playing field, especially in LA. You know, with the way the kind of the, the fan bases have, have shaken out historically. So, I think they're kind of looking at it like if we could get Kawhi and you know make this a very blue collar organization, which is kind of what they've already done the past couple of years. Uh, I, I think he fits in with that better than even KD does. Yeah, you know who my dream pairing for him though is? I would love to see in terms of like maybe realistic target. I haven't probably mentioned this to you before. How about Kawhi and Kemba? I mean, isn't that a pretty nice combination to start your team with? I mean, not only do you get the excitement at the point guard position, you get the scoring factor. I think you'd be able to get a really nice balance between the two of those guys on offense. And I think it'd be pretty easy to build really quality, hardworking, blue-collar type lineups around those guys. I mean, just basically fill in role players whether it's three and D guys or, you know, hustle players like a Montrez Harrell inside. I mean, to me, if you have Kawhi, Kemba and a pretty solid, you know, rotation behind those guys, to me, that's like a five or a six seed in the Western Conference. Uh, you know, maybe even a little bit better, maybe four seed, depending on how things shake out. I'd, and I'd also, I just would be really excited if I was a season ticket holder to watch that team. I mean, you'd have star power. You'd have the experience of the postseason that Kawhi brings. You'd have an MVP level player plus another, you know, big time scorer. Uh, so if the whole Katie thing doesn't work out, that's where I think we should be thinking about the Clippers as, you know, a second tier type destination. If I were them, I might give a look at Kemba Walker. What do you think? I, I like Kemba. I, I think my one concern with him is I, I do think he's better than Tobias, but I wonder if there's some overlap there where, you know, there, there was a scenario in which they could have kept Tobias, uh, you know, knock on those picks and, and Landry Shamit and just gone into the summer with, you know, that's kind of what we all thought they were going to do, which was have to buy, you know, try to retain Tobias and add a star 
if you can get two guys, then then you you know you let Tobias walk or let let him sign somewhere else. And but like he's kind of that safety net. And I think they ultimately just determined that Tobias at the max or near max is not a value deal. You know, it, it's not what they wanted moving forward. And they thought that that would probably limit their their kind of future, you know, just ceiling. And I feel like it's a similar thing with Kemba. You know, maybe it's it's a bit of a higher ceiling because he's a better player. Uh, I think he gives you a different look than than Tobias does if, if you're combining that with, with Kawhi. But, you know, my, my two concerns would, would just be how much does he want? And I'm going to guess he wants the max. And, you know, does that potentially limit your ceiling to a three or four seed best case scenario in like two or three years versus, you know, potentially just signing Kawhi and rolling that cap space over. Now, the final question, I know you got to go soon. Do you think that the Clippers can realistically get into the 80 sweepstakes? Because that's another, to me, that's another pro in the pro cons column for keeping the pick is, you know, you could start having conversations with the Pelicans around the draft and, you know, potentially draft for them. And I, I think, if Boston is willing to put Jason Tatum in a deal, the Celtics ultimately have the best package. But if they, you know, if they don't think Kyrie's staying or, or Kyrie tells them he's leaving and they get a little wary of putting Tatum in that deal, uh, I really think the Lakers will still be there. They'll still have that package, even though Zubats is gone now, so they can't throw him in uh, as he was one of the rumored guys in there. But I really think the Clippers can go head to head with the Lakers package and if not surpass it with all these picks now, like they don't necessarily have the same caliber of young talent that the Lakers do, or at least the depth of young talent that the Lakers do. But I think picks wise, it's even better. And, you know, that Miami pick, Philly's pick, their own pick this year, you know, a future pick from them, like you get four or five picks in there, throw in Shea, Shamit, Jerome, whoever, and I think it's it's very comparable, if not better, than the Lakers package. What do you think about that? No, definitely. I think they can make a better package than the Lakers. And after they made that Tobias trade, I actually thought like, oh, here's a team that's trying to rent Anthony Davis. That's why they got all these pieces so they can add them to some of their other existing pieces and really make a big like, uh, you know, Godfather type offer to the Pelicans. Once that didn't happen though, once the trade deadline passed, I started to get more skeptical of this idea. And part of it is because I think there's a real paranoia from the Clippers side of it where you you send out all these assets to get AD, he moves to LA, you have him for one season, and then immediately Rich Paul and Anthony Davis's dad and Magic Johnson and LeBron just have the full season-long recruiting effort to sort of, you know, pull him across the hallway and, and you know, make him a Laker. And I think that the level of devotion in terms of the Lakers' pursuit of Anthony Davis to me should provide real fear factor and, and maybe scare uh, the Clippers out of this one. Because if you're going to give up all of that for Anthony Davis, you have to believe that he's fully committed and wants to be the face of your franchise. And that's a real doubt to me right now. I mean, what's going on in Anthony Davis's head, right? Like, what does he prioritize? What does he value? We saw him at All-Star Weekend just kind of making a fool out of himself in terms of how he met with the media and all the crazy things he was saying, contradicting himself left and right. I have a list. I don't have a list. The Celtics were never not on the list. It's like, okay, just can you please try to boil this down for us, Anthony? You lost us about five minutes ago. And I think if I was the Clippers, that would make me nervous, right? Like I could see uh, the Clippers thinking, hey, we're going to get Kawhi. He's from here. He wants to, the big payday. We'll give it to him. He'll be the face of the team. We're locked in. We know our identity going forward for four years. I could see them looking at Anthony Davis and saying, man, 
if this backfires, we are going to be so screwed and we're going to have given up so many assets that this maybe is a little bit too rich for our blood. So I guess that's how I would characterize their interest in Anthony Davis. Yeah, it's it's going to be interesting. Like I, I think, you know, talking about best case scenario, there is a world in which they could sign Kawhi and trade for AD. And I think, you know, you wouldn't have much depth around, you know, maybe you have Lou and, and Trez or, or, you know, that's like best case scenario. But don't forget, though, they could also miss the playoffs, keep their lottery pick, get the number one draft pick and, and get Zion. So they could have Zion, uh, Kawhi and Anthony Davis. I mean, if we're saying best case scenario here, Jizzy, let's let's raise it all the way to the top, right? 3.4%. But uh, Ben, thank you for coming on. I appreciate it. You're my first podcast guest. I hope I did okay. Uh, But uh, I'll be seeing you next week at Staples. And uh, we'll have to do this again sometime down the road, maybe around the playoffs. It was an honor to come on. Good luck with the podcast. Uh, It's always great to see you and, and continued success. Thank you again to Ben for being the first guest on the Clip City podcast. You can follow him on Twitter and Instagram at Ben Golliver. That's at Ben, G-O-L-L-I-V-E-R. If you have any feedback for me, you can reach out to me and follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Yovan Buha. That's at J-O-V-A-N-B-U-H-A. If you'd like to read my work, please check out and subscribe to The Athletic. You can start off with a one-week free trial, see if you like it, and then decide if you want to keep subscribing for the price of a cup of coffee. Most importantly, please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review the Clip City podcast on Blue Wire. Check us out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else you consume your podcasts. If you want to check out other Blue Wire podcasts, go to bluewirepods.com. Five-star reviews would be much appreciated for this podcast, and I will talk to you next week. makes getting the furniture, electronics, and appliances you need easy and affordable. Great deals, easy approvals, free delivery. That's Aaron's, the rent-to-own power of the AA team.